working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today we are venturing across the pond to London to talk with Lauren Costi. Lauren is a drummer and percussionist who moved from L.A. to London a year and a half ago, and not long after moving there, she started touring with crossover artist Russell Watson, who combines operatic singing and some classical repertoire with various pop styles. Before moving there, Lauren had built up quite a resume in L.A., which included John Williams, Brian McKnight, P. Diddy, and many others. She's classically trained, but she has a huge skill set beyond orchestral percussion, that has enabled her to bridge the gap between the classical world and the pop world and really play just about any type of gig you can think of. This episode is sponsored by Sakai Drums. You know the Sakai sound, now get to know the Sakai name. Trusted around the world for almost 100 years, Sakai's devotion to craftsmanship and passion in creating the world's best quality drums is unmatched. Handcrafted in Osaka, Japan, Sakai offers the most versatile drums from the Trilogy Vintage Series to the modern almighty Japanese Birch Recording Kit, each boasting a distinct sound and feel. Go to SakaiDrums.com to learn why studio legend Eddie Bayers, the Smashing Pumpkins' Jimmy Chamberlain, and Tedeschi Trucks Band's J.J. Johnson and Tyler Greenwell choose Sakai. Elevate your sound with Sakai. That website, again, is S-A-K-A-E-Drums.com. If you haven't already, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Share pics of your gigs using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. And uh, we welcome comments and messages on social media. It's great to hear from you all about what you like about Working Drummer Podcast, suggestions about what you might like more of. And please feel free to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. So now here's my talk with Lauren Costi. It's a really good look at classical versus pop and L.A. versus London. Hope you enjoy it. I'm so interested to hear about about London and kind of how day to day life feels there and and how like what the music scene is there. Yeah, um, I know there's a lot of session work, but like what what else what else goes on there? It's <sighs> diametrically different than LA. Like that was one of the first things I figured out moving here. I feel like if you took LA and New York and put them into one city you could then maybe get close to how much music is actually going on in London. Really? And we, when you talk to the guys in London, you know, they're not necessarily comparing it to L.A. or New York if they haven't worked there. So, you know, musicians kind of have that thing of, oh, there's less work than there used to be, which mm-hmm. is probably true. But considering, like, in this city, there's five major orchestras. Wow. Um, there's all... You know, there's more theaters in the West End than there are in on, on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention two operas and one or two ballets, um, plus a lot of scoring work and a lot of session work, mm-hmm. and the whole you know British pop scene too. So, like, it was definitely I wasn't prepared for that when I moved here. I just thought I was moving to another kind of similar size industry as was in LA and then when I got here kind of realized wow it's really big right and it's it's big to the point where um instead of there being like one circle of musicians who all know each other there can be someone who plays 
like orchestral percussion in London that you've never met before. Whereas in LA, like every orchestral percussionist knows every other one. You right, know? right. So and it's, it's the same, like every, every jazz yeah. drummer knows every other one and right. it's, you know, wow. So, but you're saying like there are still orchestral percussionists in London that you don't know. Yeah, because there's five orchestras, and so there's probably four or five players in each. Right. Um, of course, I'm new, so I don't really know everyone anyway, but it's just a bigger pool of people, yeah. and I think that's really nice because it's just, there's always new people to meet, and yeah. you don't always see the same faces everywhere. Right. It's hard to imagine a bigger pool than L.A., but... I know. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> what I thought too. So like what was what was your lead time? Uh like how much time did you have to sort of prepare and make some contacts before you actually moved? Well, hmm. Pretty much zero. <laughs> I I I honestly knew nobody when I moved here. Wow. Um it was a big risk to take, I think, but I was supposed to be on this tour. Actually, Jamie and I were, were going to be on the um, Jesus Christ Superstar tour. Oh, you were on that too? Yeah, you, I was going to play the percussion book on that. Man. Yeah, he told the story of that whole debacle on, on this podcast. Okay, yeah, so you know that it got canceled three days before. And yes, yes. So that was, that, that was going to be um, a really nice way for me to meet a lot of London people um, because, like, all of the cast and crew I think were all UK and then two at least two people in the band and the MD were London musicians mm -hmm. um so I, that would have been perfect right had that worked out and obviously you know what happened happened and it didn't and so it was kind of um yeah it was hard to get over <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that didn't happen but I I still went for it you know right um, I'm totally glad I did yeah yeah what uh, what was the reason that you, you moved to London? So my partner, um, she's British. Mm -hmm. And actually, we met in L.A. She was living in L.A. Um, but she had some family stuff come up that she had to move home for. Mm. So she moved, and we did a couple years long distance, which, as you can imagine, was really, really hard. Yeah. And I kind of came, came to this point where I was like, okay, what are we going to do? It's now or never because right. we can't keep going on like this. Because right. not only is it, you know, another country away, but it's eight hour time difference away too. So it's really hard to, to keep, um, in communication with people. So I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't work out, I can always come home. I know a lot of people back home in LA, you know, mm -hmm. they're not going to forget who I am. It might take me a minute to get integrated back into working a lot right. or as much as I was, but you just don't get the opportunity to live in Europe, you know, yeah. I mean, who yeah. gets that opportunity? I just had to do that. And I knew that of all the places that she was going to move to, it happened to be London, which mm -hmm. is maybe the best city in the world to be a musician in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just, um, took a leap of faith yeah. and here I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's so, uh, it's, it's great because, you know, people often think of, of being in a relationship as, as a hindrance to, you know, having a creative career. Um, but like, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I moved to Atlanta because my wife got a job here. And, you know, I, I think people have made sacrifices that, that hindered their musical careers. But in your case, in my case, it actually furthered it. You ended yeah. up in a place where there were more opportunities and, and different opportunities 
that you wouldn't have had otherwise um, because you were willing to follow your, your partner to this yeah. place. It's funny. I mean, obviously, I took two years to make the decision, so it was not an easy decision to make. Right. Um, and it wasn't easy on our relationship during that time either. But um, one thing Tatum said to me, that's my partner. Yeah. Um, she said, uh, she showed me a little um, meme, and it was a circle that says your comfort zone, mm-hmm. and then outside of the circle where the magic happens. Right, I've seen that. And at the time, I was like, oh, God, that's so easy to say. Can it live up to that? And now on the other end of it, at least for me, I feel like it absolutely has lived up to that. And I do feel like I was I have been pushed like in a way I never would have been pushed if I'd stayed, you know, basically where I grew up, where I went to school and where I knew everybody to going to a giant city where I knew no one. Right. Um, and, And it was... I came in with a good attitude, I think. I kind of came in thinking, all right, I'm going to have to work hard and I'm going to have to get to know people and work to get to know people because yeah. these people probably all went to school here and mm-hmm. know each other here. So, but I've also, I've also kind of got the mentality of like, um, you play music with your friends. You know, you get yeah. to know people, you do music with them. That leads to something else. Um, so trying to do it organically has been important too. Yeah. So yeah. when I first got here, I was just hitting the practice room every day. I just, I took the opportunity to learn something new. I had mostly been a percussionist um, prior to coming here. And <clears throat> there's a studio that I've been practicing at called Bell Percussion. Mm-hmm. And they had, um, you know, just rehearsal rooms and got to know them and they helped me out. And so I just would go there and learned a bunch of kit stuff. Um, yeah. Just started you know, expanding what I know how to do. And that was really, really fun. Yeah. I um, noticed, um, in, in your pictures with, uh, um, help me out. What's his name? With Russell Watson. Yes. Russell Watson. Um, you know, I, I knew you as, as strictly a percussionist in LA and you moved to London and all of a sudden there's all these pictures of drum sets <laughs> on gigs. And I'm like, wait a minute. Well, I didn't know that. So, so that was, that was something that you sort of, was that were you into drum set as a younger player or was that something you had to kind of start from scratch on i i started more as a percussionist really um mm-hmm. came to drum set later on um as you do cuz you kind of learn the marimba and the timpani and the glockenspiel and it seems natural to then learn the drum set right whereas you see i think there are a lot of you know students who start on drum set and then expand to percussion so right. that was me. i was a little bit backwards yeah right. i was a little backwards <laughs> But, um, yeah, I had started studying and working on the kit in L.A., Mm -hmm. but I never thought of myself as a drummer. I always thought of myself as a percussionist and still do. Right. Um, I tell, you know, when people ask, I say, oh, yeah, I I play drums and percussion. I'm more of a percussionist who plays drums than a drummer who plays percussion. Right. Um, But for the Russell gig, it was just kind of, like, perfect because he's a crossover artist and he does um, everything from like opera arias to musical theater to folk rock pop. Right. So like we played everything from the Phantom of the Opera to Adele <laughs> to um, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, yeah. Um, to you know Puccini. Right, right. And your setup so, looks so cool. It's like it, your setup <laughs> is this. I mean, it takes up an entire room almost. 
Um, it but it's did, like, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's everything. It, it's, it's actually kind of the culmination of, of a college career. Like if you think about all the shit you work on in, in your average sort of college percussion program, like it's all there in your setup. There's, yeah, there's I had orchestral like, percussion and hand drums and like, it's, <laughs> I'm like that there, there, there is a gig out there that that uh, is the result of. <laughs> <laughs> I could be the poster child. Right. The <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had uh, I had timpani, uh, Glockenspiel. I had SPD pad, full drum kit, um, and then kind of groove station with like congas, cajon, shakers, tambourines, stuff like that. Wow. So that was uh, for me a dream come true because I got to use all of the skills that I've learned yeah. in one gig. Yeah, you know? yeah. So what was the what was the process of of uh, getting the the drum set going once you got to London? Like, what did was were there styles you focused on, or was it physical independent stuff, or what was the journey? Uh, yeah, I kind of said to myself I was just going to start by focusing on three styles, mm -hmm. um, just uh, like jazz, funk, and rock, mm -hmm. um, just to try and because it's obviously it's like. A huge universe of uh, technique and style and the depth of being a kit player I mean you can just focus on that for an entire career so right. I needed to scratch the surface yeah. um, so I did that and uh, you know I got out like the Rick Latham book mm -hmm. um, I got out um, I'm trying to remember some of the other books that I was working out of at the time um, in uh what is it independence no uh, the one everyone works out of now of course i can't remember the name of it oh syncopation syncopation Tedry? yeah that's yeah, yeah. It. yeah stuff like that mm -hmm. and then um i got together for a few lessons with a drummer called Pete Cater mm -hmm. um who does a lot of big band stuff and he showed me some things and of course when i was back home in la um i played for Jamie yeah. you know he's such a good buddy of mine and yeah, yeah. uh everything he says is gold so <laughs> I, try, I try to play for him every time I can right right um so that's how I kind of started and then uh this audition came up for the Russell Watson gig um and I had fortunately been working I mean when it came up it was like we need someone who can play kit timpani glockenspiel groove percussion and I went I can do all those things right, I right. will take this audition <laughs> So it was just an yeah. open audition? Yeah, yeah, it was. I was on a listserv, actually, called Media Match. Um, I was just, you know, like I didn't know anybody, so. Right. Uh, yeah. It popped up in my email one day along with, you know, it sends me like three or four emails a day about teaching gigs or, you know, casual gigs, and that one popped up. And I thought, huh, well, why not? I'll go for it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I went up to Manchester to take the audition and, just everything really clicked, clicked yeah. with the MD and, and everybody at uh, the production company. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got the call later and they invited me on the tour. So we just finished actually. Last week we finished 60 date tour all over the UK. Wow. Went to um, England, Scotland, and Wales. Cool. That's amazing. So it was. <laughs> so it was just, it was just like a single round uh, audition. Like you didn't have to go back or, or do a rehearsal or like a trial date or there was let's there were a few steps to it like um 
the first step was like a CV um, resume, you know, thing. And I sent links to, I have like a YouTube channel and a SoundCloud with, you know, examples of my playing. Right. Sent that to them. And then um, they got back to me. It was funny because one of the ladies from the production company called me and said, okay, we just have two questions for you. Um, one is, can you sight read? And I'm like, yes, no mm -hmm. problem. And then the second is, do you have a car? And I went, whoa, because <laughs> I had just moved here, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. I didn't. I said, well, technically I have a license, but I uh, don't really have a car right now. You know, I had to be honest. And yeah. she said, oh, okay, okay. And, you know, she said, we'll get back to you. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to get the call. Oh, God, how much would that suck <laughs> to not get the gig because you didn't have a no. fucking car? I know. <laughs> I know. So... Um, I, th I thought I wasn't going to hear back after that, but I did. They got back to me and said, yeah, we'd love you to come out. So then they invited me to the audition. Um, they must've narrowed it down at that point. Right. And, uh, we, they get, they sent us like two tunes and then asked us to play a third kind of like improvisation. Um, and they sent the tune to us like the day before. And so, you know, it was not a whole lot of prep time. They just wanted you to kind of come in and and read it. So, right. um, yeah, it was really fun. I remember kind of, I was, I wasn't nervous before the audition. I mean, I was, I had like normal nerves, mm -hmm. but I wasn't overly nervous. Cause to me at that point I was like, you know what? I'm in a new country. Like I don't know anyone or anything. This is my first time out of the box. Just, I'm just going to go for it and yeah. have fun yeah. and just see what comes of it. Um, and it was funny also because I had laryngitis at the time. Oh, God. <laughs> so they had to call Russell. I think they had to tell Russell, don't come to the audition because he's a singer, obviously. Right. He's not going to want to be near me. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like in the studio recording his album right now. Yeah. So I go, you know, I go in there and I'm like, hi. Oh, um, no. Lauren, you know, <laughs> which kind of broke the ice, to right, be honest. Right. So what, um, what exactly yeah. did you have to play in the audition? Was it playing with an ensemble or just by yourself or along with tracks? Uh, I played with the MD. Um, okay. He played piano. We did uh, I Dreamed a Dream from Les Miserables. Mm -hmm. And one other uh, was more of an operatic aria, and I can't, I can't recall what that was. And then I played a solo improvisation. So two of the tunes were with MD, and one was solo. Wow. What, what did you do for the solo improv? Uh, I, I basically just wanted to showcase some different styles and transitions between the styles. Mm -hmm. So I started on like Cajon with some bass drum and hi-hat in addition. So I wanted to kind of show a little bit of versatility. Um, and then I kind of figured out a transition and went into, um, I think it might've been sort of that classical crossover pop style, you know, just yeah. trying to show that I can do that. Um, right. And then I think I finished with uh, some rudimental, like funky rudimental stuff, like um, second line grooves. Yeah, yeah. Cool. To show a little bit of chops. Yeah. Right, right. That's so interesting because I think, you know, when I, when I think of, you know, okay, play a, play an improvised solo, like, you know, my, my background is so jazz heavy that I think of that as like, okay, they want to, they want to hear my creativity now. They want to hear my artistic, you know, whatever. Um, but you, you took it as an opportunity to say like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to just showcase all the shit that I can do. 
the, you know, stylistically, mm -hmm. um, and in terms of like, basically not saying, um, you know, check out my creativity, but you know, check out all my styles, check out all this stuff I can do that you can use. Right. Well, especially for that artist too, because he is a crossover artist and there are so many types of tunes that we're doing in his gig. Right. Um, I thought that was going to be a really nice way to say, oh yes, here's how I'd approach these different styles and be able to kind of <clears throat> show that in the audition seemed really important. Yeah. Yeah. And they did kind of say, uh, you know, when they, with, when they gave instructions to kind of show a little bit of yourself in the audition as well. So it's funny, I brought, um, when I do like a solo percussion or like a, like an acoustic um, groove percussion rig, mm -hmm. I'll bring like little jingly bells and little sound effects, just little finger symbols and things. So yeah. Yeah. I brought those just for fun. And I think that um, the MD really liked them because then later on he wrote, for some of those um, sound effects that I had oh, brought cool. to the audition. Yeah, yeah. And so it was, I think, an opportunity also for him to see um, or be inspired, like what kinds of things he could write for you as a player. Right, right. So that was a good learning moment for me, too, to sort of realize that it's not just a moment for you to showcase your ability, but also for them to see your personality and what they could how they can work with you as a right. player. Like, how are you going to fit in? How can we use you? Totally. You talked a little bit about, about your background. Did you grow up in L.A.? Yeah, I did. And and did you have, like, the typical high school track of, of you know, playing in band and marching band and, and all that stuff? Exactly. And it, um, was, it was percussion kind of from the start, not drum set. Yeah, because I played in the school band in elementary school, and I was 10. I thought I would join the band, and, you know, of course, I picked the drums because they were the coolest instrument. Well, of course they are. And my friends were doing it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just fell in love with it and kept doing it. And the district I grew up in had a really strong music program, so I was lucky enough to kind of have that available to me. Yeah. Um, what district was that? Where, what neighborhood were you in? So I grew up in Thousand Oaks, which is okay. about an hour north of L.A., and the, yeah. the district was the Caneo Valley Unified School District. Right, okay. And so we had a huge marching band in high school, but we also did percussion ensemble, mm -hmm. um, or you know, orchestral. I, I guess it wasn't an orchestra, actually. It was a symphonic band. Right, um, okay. But we got a lot of different variety to the music even at that time, so it wasn't just marching band. Mm -hmm. uh, I, was in the, I was in the big band. I was in the percussion ensemble wind symphony and all that too yeah and did you go to college in la too yeah i went to usc oh usc of course were you there at the same time as jamie yeah that's where we met it was funny oh, cool. because um i think he came in gosh i guess he was there my freshman year but he was doing his uh master's degree at that point okay and he was dating a friend of mine who uh, i knew from high school who was also in our music program in high school Huh. So that's how we all got um, connected. Yeah. So I hear all the time about, uh, you know, the, the jazz program and the drum set program at, at USC with Erskine and then Dugu Chancellor and, and all, the, all the people. What was the orchestral program like? It was cool. Um, again, I was always seeking versatility. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely strongly in the concert orchestral percussion program, but I also did, I played in the Latin band. Um, I was kind of, I jumped around in terms of 
the departments. Mm -hmm. But um, SC was cool because I got, again, that opportunity to just play like in a, a symphony orchestra, not only a symphony orchestra, but a really good symphony orchestra. Right. You know, one of the best wind ensembles because our um, conductor at the time was um, H. Robert Reynolds, who's sort of like one of the leading conductors of wind ensemble. Mm -hmm. um, I played in uh, with Aron Serfati in um, Alage, which is the Latin band. Yeah. So I was all over that place, and I just uh, tried to make friends with everyone and all these, you know, from all the different parts of the community. But at, at the time, I was, I, w I wouldn't say I was in the majority of people doing that. People tended to kind of stay in their, in the classical or the jazz program. Right. Um, so I remember I had to kind of work it out with my teacher at the time. In order to be in the big band, um, I had to not be in um, the orchestra for that semester or whatever. So there was a trade-off. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed my time at USC for that because it just um, provided that opportunity for diversity, which yeah. I knew was what I wanted to do, you know. Right. And that was, again, that goes along the, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, I, I think um, orchestral percussionists in, in college have a tendency to just get blinders on about, about orchestral percussion and they mm -hmm. see their career track. They're like, I'm going to get out of school. I'm going to get my master's and my doctorate and I'm going to audition for these orchestras. Yeah. And I'm going to make one of them and I'm going to move there and I'm going to play in that orchestra and wear a tux and play classical music. <laughs> um, so did like, did you ever get that tunnel vision? And, and if not, what, I mean, it sounds like you were just kind of into everything from, from the start. Um, I, well, I, I was for a little while I was thinking about that. You know, it was definitely one of the things I thought about early on because um, I was thinking ahead and where I wanted to go with this degree in music, what I was mm -hmm. going to do with it. So um, for me, it was a it was a question of wanting to be wanting to have a life where I was going to live near a large metropolitan area mm -hmm. because I am gay. I didn't want to end up in a small symphony yeah. in a small town and feel isolated from the LGBT community. So that right. was a big motivator for me to go more of a freelance route mm -hmm. um, rather than a strictly um, like orchestral audition route, yeah. which a lot of people did and which I enjoy doing a lot. Yeah. Um, but also kind of just as a personal thing, um, really enjoy playing um, jazz, playing pop, um, pushing myself to do uh, genres and styles that I am not as familiar with and mm -hmm. thus getting better at those things. So um, I did play around with the idea of orchestral auditions and, and I studied quite a lot of orchestral repertoire. Right. But like I said, always tried to keep my eyes open to other kinds of music as well. Yeah. What, uh, what did you audition for? Um, you mean which orchestras? Yeah, or? yeah. Uh, so I took, um, like, San Diego Symphony had an audition that I went down and did, and mm -hmm. um, that was really fun. I remember there was, like, I think the staircase leading from the warm-up room to the stage was like, it looked like Mount Everest. I was carrying, <laughs> I was carrying like a snare drum and crash cymbals and a tambourine. And I'm like looking up thinking, hang on a second. I need to get all this gear up those stairs to the stage and then walk on and play an audition. Like oh, this is crazy. Geez. So it, it was, it was really fun at the time I remember. And, um, <laughs> 
It doesn't sound uh, like fun. <laughs> it was in that it was something, because that was the first of those types of auditions I had taken. Mm-hmm. So it was something like really new and, um, yeah, invigorating in that way of like pushing yourself to new things. Right, right. Um, and I didn't, I didn't do particularly well in that audition. I remember I... I think I got cut after the first round. So mm, yeah. <laughs> it's funny that I have a positive memory of it, but San Diego is such a nice city. And um, I have a friend who plays in that orchestra now. who's a, a good friend that I was in school with. So, Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a great, great experience. And I've done, you know, several orchestral auditions, including that one. And um, they're a lot of work and um, I think a big payoff, but also a lot of sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. And for, uh, you know, most, most of the listeners to this podcast are, are drummers, not percussionists. You know, they're playing drum set week in, week out, um, and may not be aware of just kind of the, the nature of those orchestral auditions. So mm. talk, about, talk about the preparation for those auditions and, like, the, the vibe of those auditions once you get in there. Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, the Olympics have been on these last this last week. I was going to say the same thing. It's, <laughs> it, it's that same kind of vibe. It's like you walk on and there's people staring at you and it, like you're on the balance beam and it's do um, or die, man. Like you need to execute in that moment. Um, <sighs> there's definitely. Uh, I mean, everyone approaches it differently, but the the school of um, approach that I came from, studying with the teachers that I did, was. Um, there's a period of time leading up to the audition, maybe six weeks, maybe more, Mm -hmm. where you really are thinking of yourself um, as an athlete and devoting eight to ten hours a day um, preparing that list of excerpts from all the orchestral works on several different instruments. I mean, it's almost like a gymnast, you know, they did uneven bars and the floor routine and the vault. Right. You know, you're doing the snare drum and the you know, xylophone and the tambourine. (laughs) You've got a list of these things that they're going to call out and you don't know which ones they're going to call and everything's got to be, as they say, note perfect. So, um, and then as you get closer to the audition, you're doing a lot of um, mock auditions where um, basically you do a trial run of the audition. Maybe you create a pressure situation for yourself by inviting uh, some people that you know are going to make you nervous to play for. Yeah. Um, if people get really detailed with it in terms of uh, figuring out exactly what their diet is going to be going into the audition, really? their sleeping patterns, wow. uh, because it it's it is so precise. And uh, to win, you know, one of those jobs when you've got a hundred people auditioning for one spot, yeah, uh, it is it can be the difference between um, a missed note a couple extra missed notes or not, you know, yeah. or one, one missed note or one execution thing. Right. So you, you do have to split hairs as you're, as you're preparing. Yeah. Um, and you do feel, you do feel a bit akin to an Olympic athlete during that time. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, did that make the, uh, did that background make the, the Russell Watson audition seem more relaxed or like not a big deal? Was that was that why you think you were able to just relax in that audition and have fun? Um, actually, no. I think, in a way, an audition where you don't have prep time can. Yeah, coming from a background of 
the preparation process being what gives you confidence right. and then going to an audition process where it's more just about what you do on the fly um, can be really scary because that's what built you up was knowing I've done 500 hours in pre- preparation for yeah. this. I got this. Right. versus saying, Oh, this, you know, this is in me somewhere and it'll come out. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's why when I approached that, or uh, the Russell audition, um, I gave it some thought as to how I wanted to approach it, knowing that it was something different than I had done prior. Um, but yes, once I got past um, that initial thing of being worried about like, oh, I haven't prepared, how am I going to do this? There is a little bit of like ease to feeling like it's all good. Like whatever I play, that's what I play. And I'm just going to walk in there and do that and walk away um, and if I'm if I meet the demand, if I'm if I vibe with the people, if they like me, they'll call me back. And if not, I'll go to the next one. How long were you in LA, like from, from college until the time you moved? Uh let's see. I have to think about that for a second. So I took so I, I graduated, so I started uh, at USC in 2001, mm-hmm. and then I graduated in 2005, that was my undergrad, and I had a few years, I think about three years where I was freelancing in LA right after finishing undergrad, and then I went um, and did a master's degree on the East Coast for two years, oh, Okay. and then I came back to LA again and was there, was there for another, I think, five years, uh-huh. and then I moved to London. Gotcha. So it was a, a t- you know obviously I was I would call myself a Southern Californian right. um, until up, up until about age thirty one, mm-hmm. and then when I turned thirty one is when I moved to London. Okay, gotcha. And what school did you go to on the East Coast? Oh yeah, so I did a master's at Carnegie Mellon University. Oh yeah, okay. Um, I went to study with a guy named Tim Adams. Mm-hmm played timpani in the Pittsburgh Symphony and had been uh, a real inspiration to me um, that I'd met at, um, I don't know if you know of Brevard Music Center, yeah. which is in North Carolina. So I did a, a summer festival there for two separate mm-hmm. years, and he was the teacher there. Um, and yeah, he, he just brought out the best in me, I noticed, while I was um, studying with him there and was was sort of a, a well-known and renowned teacher amongst percussionists. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so when I thought about doing my master's degree, CMU was on my list. Yeah. And isn't it true about Tim Adams that, I mean, he's, you know, one of the, one of the greatest living orchestral percussionists, but like he also goes and plays jazz gigs in the clubs, right? Yeah. It's actually, you live in Georgia and he is now teaching at University of Georgia, I believe. Really? In Athens? Yeah. I want to say uh, UGA is that? Yeah, yeah, in Athens. I think that's where he is now. Because after I graduated, he moved on to uh, a different university, and I believe that's the one. No shit. Um, wow. he's he is such a badass. I mean, and I talked to him about this before I went to do my masters there, because I had also auditioned at University of North Texas and uh, Boston Conservatory, and I was mm-hmm. I was really looking at schools that had that diversity element. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he said to me, you know, when I asked about it, I was like, well, Lauren, you know, like I go play timpani 
in uh, the Pittsburgh Symphony, and then I'll go after hours to jazz and play in the jazz clubs, mm-hmm. you know. So I knew that that was a part of what he did, and I knew that he had kind of a breadth as far as his musicianship. So right. that definitely attracted me to studying with him. Yeah. Um, so talk about the, the breadth of, uh, music that you got to play during your time in LA. Um, everything from, uh, love doing musical theater. In fact, that's where I met you. Yeah. Yeah. We were the production. Was it Hairspray or? Yeah. There were a couple. We, were... we did, we did Hairspray and, um, there was one other one. I forgot what it was, but, but yeah, at the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. Exactly. Right. In that. That was a lot of fun because, yeah, you get to be surrounded by, as a percussionist at least, all these instruments. Yeah. Of course, you're taking up a lot of real estate in the pit, so you have to be uh, conscientious of how many, just how big is that bass drum that you're going to bring in there? Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it might be, the guitar player's elbow might end up in your drum. <laughs> uh, but no, no, I mean... That, that was really fun. Did the, a lot of that in L.A. Um, I played in uh, Dave Ricard's big band. Mm-hmm. Um, played the Vibes and Percussion book for that band. Yeah. Um, let's see. A lot of orchestra stuff. I played with the Santa Barbara Symphony. Mm-hmm. Um, Redland Symphony. Had the, uh, the fortune to play with uh, L.A. Philharmonic. Um, I played, uh, you know, you know how it is. The phone rings, and you never know what the gig's going to be. So right. sometimes, sometimes you're playing like a Sunday church gig, and you know, shaking hands and having a coffee afterwards. Right. Or sometimes you're, as one case was, I got a call to play um, with P Diddy at the American Music Awards. So I <laughs> uh, got to go out there for the American Music Awards, and I was up on like a twenty foot tall riser with my two timpani, and oh that was God. incredible. Um, played a little bit with Cirque du Soleil. Really? Uh, yeah, at the E3 convention, we did a, a short-term show there. Cool. Um, so it was were, anything and everything. <laughs> yeah, you were all over the map in L.A. Um, yeah. And it was, it was so great to see because, like, I, you know, I got, I got cynical about my orchestral background because I did college and grad school and the marimba and the timpani and the whole thing. Yeah. And, and I thought... Um, I thought that I kind of had to forsake all that shit because I didn't want to spend the 500 hours preparing for the audition and ending up yeah. in a in a tuxedo full time. Like I I thought that because I didn't want to do that, I just had to turn away from it completely. Um but uh to see to see a career like yours like you play with P Diddy and you play in the Santa Barbara Symphony and you play musicals and you play at churches like you you know you can use um, all of those, all of those skills, all of those excerpts, and and all of those techniques that you learned in college, don't have to like they don't just lead to one place, you know. Um, yeah. And I think the like it's it's the same in jazz. Like in in jazz programs in a lot of colleges, you study jazz drum set, you study the great jazz drummers, and and you kind of get it in your head that that leads one place. Like you are studying to be a great jazz drummer. Um, when mm-hmm. it's it's not the case, it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, you're I think you're better off, um, you know, just remaining open to anything and everything, and being able to translate your skills into anything and everything. Yeah, it, I mean, it keeps things interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I start to get nervous when I only get a call for one kind of gig. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be in a box. Right. You know? Right. Um. Uh. 
I did a, a gig when I first moved to London that was that really pushed me. I was playing Arabic music with a kanun player. What is a kanun? Um, it's like um, it's like a it's like a harp almost, uh-huh. but um, it's instead of being in front of you, it's on a board sitting on your lap. Wow. Um, I don't know a better way to describe it than that, but it's yeah. a it's a a, a native um, Arabic instrument, and uh, it's a beautiful beautiful instrument. And we played this party in Hyde Park that um, was I want to say it was a Ramadan celebration, hmm. and uh, the way that this particular party was, the men and women were divided into two separate parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they needed male musicians on the men's side and female musicians on the female side. So oh. the kanun player was female, and um, she asked me to join her and a vocalist. And the three of us uh, played this kind of music I had never played before. And then she uh, she has since invited me to be a part of the Arabic ensemble that oh, she cool. coaches. So I'm yeah, I'm planning on um, trying to get a little deeper into that too. And uh, it's just fun, you know. It's it's what it instrument be, did you play for that? Oh, okay. So I played, I'm trying to think, I think it was a darbuka and okay, a frame yeah. drum. Right, okay. Those were the main things I did for that particular gig. And I didn't really know what I was doing on that gig. Um, <laughs> but I could kind of fake my way through it, right. you know. And so, But she's cool because she teaches this style of music. So she showed me a bunch of stuff that I hadn't, that I didn't know. Um, and... Uh, it ended up being a real learning experience for me, yeah. and I was very glad with her patience with me of uh, you know showing me some of these um, sort of folkloric styles that she was so familiar with. Yeah, and I think that's that's another thing that sets you apart from from a lot of orchestral musicians, or you know at least the idea that I have about orchestral musicians based on my experience is that a lot of them don't improvise. And a lot of them don't really develop that sort of musical intuition that you need to be able to walk into a gig like that with a person you've never met, with an instrument you've never fucking seen, uh, <laughs> and, and be able to do something. And I'm, I'm sure that in that situation, you know, whatever, whatever you played, you know, was perfectly agreeable to her. But what, uh, what it was attractive about your musicianship to her was your, your intuition and your ability to, like get on board with um, whatever she was doing. I definitely put the ego aside in that situation <laughs> and uh, and tried to be all ears about what she showed me and um, kept it simple, you know, mm-hmm. until I felt like I was in the swing of it and then add a little bit here and there. Um, and we had a great time and, and it came off really well too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's funny you should say that because I think early on uh, when I was playing percussion I felt a little bit um that I, this is before I started like improvising or doing more um kind of groove style music right I felt like uh something was missing you know like, like I wanted to be kind of connected to what I was playing a little bit more I wanted to feel like um instead of like reading the dots off the page that I was kind of more with it you were more um, what? and so that's kind of what prompted more creative yeah yeah um, not that you can't be creative interpreting uh, dots on a page. Absolutely, that's. But right. I wanted. I don't know. I just felt like there was something, something else that I wanted more. And so, 
um, I, da- I was dating a jazz pianist at the time, hmm. and I said, hey, will you show me, like, how to improvise? You know, will you show me a little bit on the vibes? You know, I'm sure you, you can give me a couple of hints and right. get me started. So I spent a summer, uh, you know, dabbling in that and um, took some lessons with David Johnson, who's a great L.A. Um, jazz vibraphone player as well as other percussion, and uh, mm-hmm. picked it up as I went. But it, it I felt at the time like it... Um, kind of if my musicianship was like a pizza, mm-hmm. um, that it was like another piece of the pizza that was there that yeah. had been missing prior and kind of completed the whole pie, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about the um, just sort of the cultural attitude towards music and musicians in, in London and in Europe versus in America. Because, you know, the, the trope is that Music and musicians are underappreciated in America, and and they're they're treated, you know, with the respect and regard that that they should have in in Europe and in other places in the world. Has has that been your experience? Oh, I got to think about that one. I mean, um, you know, I have to say that I'm still so new here that my familiarity with the culture of it and the way everything's set up is probably not as familiar as someone who, who's been here longer than me. But right. uh, my first impressions, um, I think there is a value on the arts here that I didn't see as much at home. Um, mm-hmm. And it, I think especially, I mean, LA definitely has a value on the arts. Um, although I think the entertainment or like, more contemporary arts, yeah. um, entertainment-driven arts, um, are more focused there, as yeah. that is a film town. It's a commercial so, value. Yeah, exactly. And here, um, you know, people know, if you say Shostakovich, people know who that is. Right. You know, people, you wouldn't necessarily meet people who'd never been to hear a symphony orchestra play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a... It's, there's a familiarity that people have with the arts that you can tell has been, um, it's been valued in their education. Um, I worked, uh, when I first got here, I was teaching, so I was working for a music, um, a music hub in one of the, the boroughs here in London and saw, you know, how much money there was put into the arts yeah. and into the education of the arts. Mm-hmm. and. You know, the grass is always greener because when you talk to people who grew up here, um, they wouldn't necessarily think that enough focus and attention was put on it. Hmm. Um, and there's prob- there may be a case for that, but it was more so than a lot of districts that I had taught in when I was in Southern California. Yeah. Um, in, in the sense that there's a lot of, like, for example, I told you where I grew up had a great music program. Right. But one of the reasons that it had that program was partially student funded yeah. versus the programs that I've seen and worked in here were state funded. Um, so those students that I worked with had that opportunity to do it regardless of how much money and what background they were coming from mm-hmm. and, and really enjoyed it too. Um, and then perhaps um, would have the opportunity to then learn an instrument and um, it's kind of cool too because there are so many orchestras. The orchestras do a lot of outreach with um, the education communities too. So they'll have, 
you know, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra will have um, a group of students come and hear their rehearsals or play with their musicians to kind of inspire that next level. Right. And, uh, and you know, the same thing um, with other arts, yeah. not just music. There's just so much of it here. Yeah. And to be fair, world. like, you know, I, I know that, that programs like you're describing do exist in the United States, you know, Absolutely, it's not like yeah. a barren landscape, but it just sounds like over there it's, it's a little bit more of a given. Um, I'd say so without, without having done teaching outside of London, I do know that most of the boroughs in London have um, an, a primary music program, which mm-hmm. is not the case in most of the boroughs around LA right. or most of well, you wouldn't call it a borough there. You'd call it a County right. um, or a district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, have you run into, like, when, when you meet people in, in uh, London and they say, what do you do? And you say, I'm a musician. What, what is their reaction? Um, oh, you know, it's usually, oh, cool. Right. Who do you play music with? <laughs> right, right. And I, I ask that because I think every musician in America... Uh, has you know been in the situation where they're asked, "What do you do?" and they say, "I'm a musician." And the next question is like, well, "What do you really do? <laughs> what's 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 your job?" <laughs> yeah, um, that's but, always a hard question because I'm always um, anticipating that question, that follow up question. So yeah, um, I think in both uh, the UK and in the US. I tend to kind of jump on it early and say, oh, I'm a musician. Oh, so what music do you play? Oh, well, I do a lot of stuff. I teach. Um, I play live performance. I record. Right. Um, and I kind of try to give a very brief overview of what the life of a freelance musician looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that that's mostly, oh, okay, I get it. So you, you know, you do a lot of, a lot of like a portfolio career right. is what makes up your work. You know? Right. And I think that's actually, uh, people, people are becoming more receptive to that because I think, I think people of our generation outside of music, like their, their careers are starting to resemble ours. Like people have a portfolio career, um, whether it's in the arts or, uh, in, you know, entrepreneurship or, technology yeah. or like people are kind of piecing together their own careers more so than, than they used to. I got to say, it's really liberating. Like, um, I saw this YouTube video once that all of the hours of a person's life were represented by jelly beans. Have you seen this video? No. So it's just this pile of jelly beans. I was like, this represents your life. Uh-huh. And Okay, the average person sleeps, you know, about half their life, so that's gone. Okay, here's your remaining jelly beans. But the average person has a 40-hour-a-week job. So here, so then they take away another, you know, giant portion of jelly beans. And then right. it was like, okay, here's, some more, here's the jelly beans left. But, you know, you've got to go to the grocery store, and you've got to wash the car, and you've mm-hmm. got to do your laundry. So here, this little tiny pile of jelly beans represents your free time that you can do <laughs> as you like. Oh, God. I thought, I am so glad and and grateful to be freelance, even even with the double-edged sword that it can sometimes be, because though I may not always be uh, rich in uh, financially or um, 
sort of stability. Right. I am always rich in time and doing what I want with my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, to me, that's really valuable and makes me really happy. Yeah, yeah. I always say, it, you know, it, it, it might be stressful, it might be, you know, broke sometimes, but it's never boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely never <laughs> for boring. For better or for worse, it is never boring. <laughs> Um, well, cool. What is, uh, what's, are, is there more coming up with Russell Watson? Uh, yeah, there might be. I'm not sure I can talk about it at this juncture, okay. but he's got some plans. Um, and we're kind of waiting to see how things unravel for him at this point. Cool. But I, I will say I had just the most fun, um, performing with him over the UK this past few months. And it, what a way to learn a new country. I mean, we yeah. saw the biggest, most incredible cities and we went to a lot of like small um you know even 500 seat community centers and right. uh we had appreciative audiences everywhere it, it reminds me of, uh, of a few episodes back i interviewed uh wes anderson who's the drummer for the uh, army jazz ambassadors and uh he just joined that group a, a couple months ago and he said it's the same thing like they might be in a 3000 seat concert hall one night and like literally outside at a rodeo the next night yeah. <laughs> exactly you just i never begin because i had no preconceived notions of what the cities on the list were going to be like right it was always like what's this one going to be is it going to be like this beautiful spa town or is it going to be like a really small rural community i have no idea what i was what, was, what i was going to do. <laughs> will there be beer yes good okay <laughs> they're always <laughs> awesome well thanks so much for talking it was it was great to talk to you and great to hear about about everything you're doing and it just it sounds like you're kicking ass and it's great to see Oh, thanks so much. And I have to say, it was just great to hear from you because I've also been following you on Facebook and looking and seeing what you're up to. And I'm glad we could stay connected, even yeah. though we're living across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess I guess we have our, our significant others to, to thank for yeah, <laughs> for definitely. where we are. <laughs> cheers, cheers to them. Here's to marrying up. Yes. Here. <laughs> Here's to love. <laughs> Stuff never said on the Working Drummer podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't she great? I think one of the reasons she was able to go beyond just playing in orchestras was that in addition to her skills and discipline and enthusiasm for all kinds of music, uh, she's just such a good hang and such a sweetheart. Uh, And as we've heard many times on the podcast, uh, that's as important as the playing side and sometimes more. Now let's check in with Matt Krause to see who's coming up next week. Hello. Hey, man, what's up? I'm much, man. How are you? Very well. So uh, who's coming up next week for you? You know, next week we have a guitar player. Oh, uh, I thought I yeah, knew you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you know, we figured we had to cover all the bases. We had a bass player, yeah. producer. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine, Rob McNally. Uh, Rob is originally from Columbus. I've known him for a long time, but he has been killing it here in Nashville, uh, at least for the last decade. His father was in a band called McGuffey Lane, and uh, just last year, Rob won the ACM Guitar Player of the Year. Wow. He is just, he's he's been doing great. Um, He's been in the studio with Buddy Guy, Carrie Underwood, Bob Seeger, Randy Hauser. I mean, just 
lots of uh, new and upcoming country artists, but obviously established mm-hmm. icons of music. Yeah. Uh, he's toured, uh, he's been touring with Bob Seger recently in the last few years, uh, and I know he's got some great stories with some, obviously, amazing drummers he's been uh, working with live and in the studio with. Yeah. And um, uh, before that, I think for about eight or nine years, he was out on the road with Delbert McClinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's just a super soul, soulful, groovy uh, player. I've had the privilege of doing some gigs with him, uh, and uh, I'm just excited to get his perspective, as you can guess, uh, as that so many of us need to hear uh, yeah. from other players, especially uh, super badasses like, uh, like Rob. So that's coming up, man. Check that out next week. Thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance, and thank you for listening. Bye-bye.